welcome, welcome, welcome to today's episode of Where Are We Now, where I, Rivka Reyes, get to connect, chat, and kiki with fellow folks who grew up in that sweet spotlight of Hollywood. (laughs) Where am I spiritually, mentally, and physically now? I had therapy today. It was nice and productive. It was a good productive there. I usually am a blubbering, crying, hot mess in therapy, but today was nice and we just got a plan together for some financial stuff. Because what I am trying to do in my life right now is bring forth some generational wealth after generations and generations of debt for the family that I am a part of. I think it's important that we talk to our kids about money. I don't have kids, so I think parents should talk to their kids about money and not see it as this big, scary, lurking thing. Like, money is evil. I hate that. I hate when people say money is evil. Um, No, money is not evil. Money has a very powerful energy, and it often gets abused. So I think abuse of money and power is the root of evil. But people just are like, oh, no, money is the problem. But... I don't know, money doesn't go around like killing people. (laughs) People kill people over money. You know what I mean? So it's really people that are the evil. Anyway, let's not talk about that anymore. I'm on my period. That's where I am physically and spiritually. I'm in a great place. I am in a lot of, you know, reverence. I'm, I'm counting the Omer right now, which is a Jewish ancient practice of prayer and devotion and feels really nice. I'm doing it with a bunch of other uh, queer POC Jewish folks, and it's really healing for me. I love to connect with that part of my ancestry. Let's get into it with my guest, who is incredible. Oh, I am so excited for this one. It is spicy, y'all. This guest is an author, a publisher, a video game goddess, and a Twitch stream queen. You might know her from Cheaper by the Dozen, parts one and two, Hannah Montana, ever heard of it, and The Pacifier, all streaming now on Disney+. Please welcome to your ears, Morgan York. Pew, 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 pew. So you're a Twitch streamer and a video game goddess. What are your current... I mean, I'm asking you this, and I know nothing of video games. It's not my forte, but I do want to know, like, what games are you currently obsessed with? Well, I've been, like, obsessed with video games pretty much as long as I've been obsessed with, like, writing and and acting once upon a time. And, uh, like, a, a video game taught me how to read. It was one of those phonics games. That's so cool. Yeah, I was like obsessed with it. And then I, I could read by age four because of that. But yeah, I, I've just loved video games my whole life. I actually started Twitch streaming because I noticed I was dumping too much of my identity into my writing. And it was making me miserable, especially when so much of that identity is tied up with whether or not I'm going to be published or quote unquote find success. So I was like, I need to do something else that is not that and is just for fun. So that's what made me start streaming on Twitch. I actually was introduced to Twitch because my brother was streaming on Twitch. He decided to start. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but it seems cool. And I decided to start doing it too. But my favorite game series is Kingdom Hearts, which is hilarious to me. I do know about that one. Yeah, I've played it. It's been my favorite since it came out when I was like nine. And it's just gotten, the series has gotten more and more ridiculous. 
there was a time where I was like, you know, I'm becoming a better writer and I'm starting to understand better how plots work. And somehow I'm still a Kingdom Hearts fan. (laughs) I think just there's just something about it that it's just completely unselfconsciously ridiculous. Like, it's just like, this is what I am. And here it is. Like, there's no pretentiousness. Like, it takes itself seriously and it doesn't. And it's great. It takes itself seriously in the way ridiculous animes do. But then also doesn't because it's like D- Donald Duck is in the frame. Like like you can't <laughs> really yeah. take this seriously. So I, I just like that lightheartedness about it. It's very comforting. And then recently I've gotten into the Final Fantasy games a lot, which is what Kingdom Hearts is a spinoff of. But I didn't actually play any Final Fantasy games till like the last two years or so for some reason. And like last year, the Last of Us sequel came out. And I became so deeply obsessed with the sequel. Like, weirdly, even though it's a survival horror game about zombies and, you know, horrific murder, it became like a comfort game for me last (laughs) year in the thick of 2020. I think it was because it was just like, these characters are surviving, you know, despite like horrible odds. And there's still some glimmer of hope there. So I guess I held on to that in 2020. And, you know, Pokemon, Legend of Zelda... Animal Crossing, I've played since the first one. And of course, got, you know, I, I was so excited for the new one that came out last year. I got the the Animal Crossing Nintendo Switch console. It was actually really dramatic because I had ordered it to come to my office. And then the week before it was supposed to, or the day before it was supposed to arrive, we went on lockdown. And I was like, I don't know when I'm coming back to this office, which was a, a great prediction because I'm. it's almost been a year and I still have not seen that office since March 12th of last year. Ugh, it's wild. So I had to do this whole thing of like rerouting the switch and being so stressed out. That was my first COVID stress was, will I get my switch in time for the game? Not COVID itself, but will I get the switch? I love that. I think I realized at the time, like this is a very strange thing for me to be this stressed out about. And I think it was like, the COVID stress manifesting somewhere else. Yeah. Somewhere safer. (laughs) Mine, I think, came from the fact that I had just gotten this amazing job and it was my first non-restaurant job. And I was like, finally, I found my calling. I found my side hustle. It's skincare. Like, and I was working at this little skincare shop in LA. And then of course, like, facials like are not going to happen during a global pandemic. And instantly I was just like, okay, well, I have nothing to live for anymore. No. Oh, <laughs> but no. You know what? They, they did a bunch of virtual classes that were really cool where we got to kind of like learn about all of the ingredients and learn about all sorts of like massage techniques. So I got very invested in that. I think I just realized while you were speaking about video games that all of my knowledge of video games that I have is from my people pleasing and like watching my boyfriends in college, like play kingdom. My, my first boyfriend in college was addicted to kingdom hearts. And I actually got like really invested in watching him play because I was just like, I'm, I was always just embarrassed. Cause I was like, I'm never going to be good at this. Like I am just not meant, to, I don't have the coordination for it. Although I was really good at Pokemon when I, you know, back in the day when I was a child, but yeah, Kingdom Hearts and then The Last of Us. I remember dating somebody and like watching them 
play or I guess watching them watch the intro sequence for the first Last of Us game. And I thought it was, I literally thought it was a movie. Oh, it's so, it's so sad, but it's so good. It, it, yeah. And, and I remember watching that. I mean, like, oh, this is why people like video games. This is why. And my 10 or, oh my God, I almost called him my 10 year old brother. My 17 year old brother is <laughs> addicted to video games in a way that is like, it's scary. I think my family has like all of us have a bit of an addictive bone in us. I'm seeing the way my brother kind of uses video games to numb out. I'm like, this is probably why we never had them in the house growing up. But yeah, The Last of Us was so epic. And and I remember, yeah, Kingdom Hearts being so epic too. But I love what you said about it. It's like, you know, my writer brain gets out of the way when I'm in that game because like, I don't care about the plot. Like, you know, I, I think those are those beautiful things from like, from childhood or or teenage years that we find and then we like circle back to and it's like I don't care that the plot holes are so glaring in this like I just love it it just is my comfort food and yeah do you have any other like do you have any movies or like albums that you're like oh this is like this didn't age well but I I mean the first thing I thought of with comfort albums is not it's something that aged very well for me which is like my favorite band is Paramore I've been obsessed with them since like 2009. Yes. Same. I don't know if you can see their poster back there. No, I clocked that. I saw that. Yeah, but <laughs> I I was I was even just just like a, an hour ago tweeting about Paramore and how I wish they would sing one of their songs from their first album live so I could see it live, but yeah, I'm 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 obsessed with Paramore. I've been to like 6 of their shows. I've been following Haley Williams's solo career as it's been unfolding recently. Like it's just so good. That that is something that aged really well and I'm really happy about because, you know, that could have just been a teenage thing where like there was a period of my life when I was 16 where things were really bad mental health wise and I didn't quite know how bad because I didn't know have the language for it. And I think of that like period of my life as like all I had was the book I was writing and Brand New Eyes by Paramore. Like that is all I remember, really. Paramore is just, they, they do really stand the test of time. I was listening to Pressure a couple of days ago. I like randomly had rediscovered that song somehow. I think it was on like a nostalgia playlist that one of my friends made. And I was just like, oh, like this song just like shakes me to my core. Her voice, everything about Paramore, they think they were so iconic because they came through in this like era of like, all American rejects and they kind of did what like Avril Lavigne was supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I think that is why they signed Haley Williams to her record label. They wanted another Avril Lavigne. She was adamant though. She wanted a band. She I mean, they're, they're such a good band. I remember the band that I was in when I was around that age too, like 16, was I was the only girl in the band and they would like let me sing songs sometimes <laughs> and they're, they would be like, what do you want to sing? Don't say Paramore. And I'd be like, why don't say Paramore? Are you just oh jealous because they're more metal than we are? Like <laughs> they were so toxic. Anyway, speaking of things that didn't age well, <laughs> I was, I picked a random episode of Hannah Montana to, oh boy. to watch. <laughs> and it was the one where Sarah, your character is like Rico hires her at the the shack to work with Jackson. And she's like, tur- I love how queer coded Sarah is too, because she's like turning the the shack into like an eco-friendly, like mm-hmm. she, my head canon is Sarah is a lesbian and she has a hippie lesbian 
lesbian girlfriend. She's a hippie girlfriend. And that was her fate. (laughs) I, I mean, I see that for her too. But Rico has a line where he's like getting fed up with Sarah and goes in the great words of Donald Trump. <gasps> oh my God. I watched him. that recently too. I, for some reason, ran, uh, I think when I got Disney plus, I was like, I'm just going to watch my old Hannah episodes. And that line came up and I wanted to die. <laughs> when he started to say in the great words, I knew I was just like, Oh, it's going to be Trump. And then it was. And I was just like, that was like, that's like the opposite of validation. That's like, it's oh. like unhealthy validation. That's validation. I didn't want. <laughs> A few years ago, my friend was having, it seems so weird to say my friend was having a get together and people went to it and didn't worry about getting sick. But a few years ago, my friend was having like a Christmas gathering and we watched Home Alone 2 and we didn't know that Trump was in it. And so he shows up and we all just start screaming. Yeah, he was in Little Rascals as well. And I remember he had a cameo, of course. In Little Rascals, he played the like rich, like bougie kid's dad. And I remember watching that with, I think, my sisters and us screaming, same thing, screaming when Trump came on screen. And I remember, I don't know, my parents were really into The Apprentice and like they would watch it every week. And I don't know, my dad would always do the Trump voice. And, and oh God, yeah, he was just like a cultural icon during that time. And now he's like the most hated man in America. And I mean, honestly, in the world. And we love to see it. We do. We do. I wish he was more hated by more people, but yeah. I know. I wish more people would get on that boat. Not to be political, but like, I do think people should have access to healthcare. And I do think people should be able to get abortions if they want to. And not to be political, but I think people should be paid for their work well. (laughs) I do. Imagine even universal basic income. Maybe just get paid and live. Right. Not to get political. (laughs) Not yet. Just this isn't a political podcast at all. But (laughs) what was it like to like rewatch some of those episodes for you? It was weird. The first thing I was struck by was how young I was, because that was the last thing I did was Hannah Montana. And I was ages 13 through 17 across all I was in every season, but I did like a couple of episodes per season. So I watched like my first episode in like... I thought of those as like, those are the things I did when I was older, when I was, you know, more grown up. And then I'm watching it and I I have this tiny little voice and I have a lisp, which I didn't know I had at the time. I I found out I had a lisp from the internet. I saw people talking about, and they were saying nice things. They were saying, like, I like how, how cute her lisp is. I freaked out and I ran to my dad. I was like, people are saying I have a lisp. He's like, well, you do have a lisp. And I was like, no, but I could hear it now because I, I guess I don't think I have it anymore. Yeah, I was just tiny. Like, I remember my first episode of Hannah Montana. I've made sure to tell the other cast. I was constantly mistaken for being younger than I was. I made sure to tell the other cast members that I was also 13 because they were like, oh, you s- I thought you were like 11. And now watching back, I'm like, oh, I see why they thought I was 11. <laughs> But I was also struck too, and I, I did feel this at the time when I was filming it, like how Sarah's character changed over the show. Uh, it kind of made me sad because when they initially introduced her character, she's just supposed to be this very nice and charitable girl. Like that is the role she plays. They kind of introduced the eco, you know, environmentalist stuff later, which was fine. But then they kind of turned her into this crazy girlfriend archetype. I was not totally into that at the time, and now I'm not into it either. It struck me as a little 
offensive in a lot of ways, but I, I think that also tends to happen in Disney shows. They they kind of latch onto a certain those archetypes are just so reusable and recyclable, mm-hmm. and yeah. they're used and played out over and over and over. I w- yeah, Disney Plus has been such a gift because I mean I get to watch all of my favorite things from when I was a kid, and like you know, there's some movies on there too. Like while you were sleeping is on there, which is like one of my all time favorite like cheesy rom coms, but. Yeah, like watching some of those shows like That's a Raven and and Hannah and Sunny by the Chance, all of those, like they they always there's just so many repeated jokes. And now on TikTok, there's been this trend where people are just saying those like kinds of lines that it's like it's yeah. what is this from? It's like it's not from anything, but it's simultaneously from everything. Like the like, oh God, he's right behind me, isn't he? Like those kinds of lines. And I'm just like, it's such it's such bad writing, but it's it's funny every time. <laughs> like, why is it funny every time? <laughs> and speak speaking of, you know, the writer in me seeing not so great writing, the period when I was in Hannah coincided with when I was coming into my own as a writer. And usually if you have if you come into your own as a writer, you have a pretentious period, especially if you do it during your teen years, where like it was like ages 15 through 19, I converted to exclusively reading classics, even though I was writing a young adult fantasy series. So that was a very interesting result. Like the language sound, like it it read like I was trying to do Harry Potter, but it was also a Dickens novel. It was not a good combination. (laughs) Is that where your your username Tolstoy comes from? Is it Tolstoy? It does. It's Tolstoy and Joyce. Thank you. And I'm also glad you noticed the Joyce part because most people just notice the Tolstoy. But yes, Tolstoy comes from that. And I, I did gain a lot from my years as like a person who exclusively read, read classics, but I also was missing a lot of perspective as well. But yeah, back then I, I remember like I would approach I would approach my Hannah episodes and like read the scripts. And especially when I was like 16, 17, I was just like, I want to do something more meaningful than this. Like this, this, you know, you know, like I, I don't want to be here making these cheesy jokes. I'm going to go sit on the dark sound stage and read the shining. Like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Are you you a Capricorn? Is this, Oh my God. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. I'm not a Capricorn, but I did have like a, a pretentious, precocious phase around. It was when I was a, like sophomore in college and I was doing like, I had divulged from doing musical theater to doing theater. Uh, yeah. And because in high school, I was just like, legally blonde, oh yeah. And then like <laughs> when I got to college, I had learned who like, Sam Shepard was and I just had an absolute like boner for like any play that involved like trauma and I was just like this is the real art like, oh god wicked what you know but now I think I'm back I've, I've, I don't know I'm in my sat you're in your Saturn's return probably too because we're around the same age yeah I'm January 93 I don't, I don't know if that yeah. tells you anything yeah well like we're, we're you're like 28 and yeah and when we hit that age, like, uh, you know, the, the tail end of the twenties going into the thirties, it's just like, okay, like time to go back and look at like, what are the lessons we've learned and, and how are we going to carry on into our thirties? And my favorite thing that I've learned, at least from the different archetypes that I've kind of played in my life is like, 
just don't take yourself too fucking seriously. Absolutely. That has been a very hard earned lesson for me that I have only like within the last few years learned. I am the queen of taking myself too seriously for sure. (laughs) Were you always that way when you were a kid too? Yes, very much so. Um, like I, I had this this TikTok that went viral, and then actually got people noticing I was there, which of course led to what always happens when I get attention on the internet. I get freaked out by the spotlight again, and then I don't go on the app for a month. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, my TikTok that went viral was it was a TikTok about me on the set of the movie The Pacifier, which I did when I was eleven, and how. They were like, all right, so we're going to discuss the script a little bit before we go into rehearsals. Bring your scripts and we're going to discuss anything you've noticed. And so I came, an 11-year-old, to the screenwriters and the director and like the top build cast with my notes and was like, okay, here are my notes. Here's my list of issues I had with the script. (laughs) And I listed them off like it was normal. (laughs) Was that your first picture? It was my second one. And but I I took it so seriously. Like I was like, I am here to do a job. I'm 11 years old. I am here to do a job, and I am a professional. And here are my notes. And they took my notes to their credit, which is great. And at the time, I didn't realize how strange that was. But I have always been very like I'm a professional, and I get patted on the back as a child for being super professional. And like only when I was older did I like start thinking about like. I have been employed every year of my life since I was 10. And I feel like there's a little bit of a had to grow up too fast in there. Oh, that's totally. worth worth examining for sure. Yeah, I think you do some beautiful writing about how dangerous that is for kids to be kind of thrust into that super early. And like the the thing that stuck out to me in something that I read of yours that you wrote about it was like when you, you decided to quit acting, how people, you know, would instantly ask about money first. And it just shows like as a society, how addicted to capitalism we are and how Uh, everything is like, and, and also something that stood out was, and I'm actually like going through this right now is the way that press like titles, these articles where it's like, the one about the Sprouse twins was like, why this, the richest kids in Hollywood turn their back on money. Like, you know, it's and it's like so much more complicated than that. It's so much more complicated than that. Like I had one that recently came out that was like school of rock blames her role in that movie for her addiction. And it's like, I'd never ever said that I never blamed anyone, but myself for my struggles, you know, it's just, but it makes it so sensationalized and, and then, of course, it opens up the the, the floodgates for Twitter people. Oh, Twitter people. Reply we guys. love them. <laughs> the reply guys just being like, just like a millennial to blame everything on everyone else. And it's like, well, did you read the article? Because it was, it I didn't was really do that. nice. It was really nice. <laughs> but yeah, I think that my writer brain, when I see those kinds of like headlines and stuff. I'm like, I know they're just like getting their paycheck through like writing these like terrible titles for these otherwise really beautiful and honest pieces. Mm-hmm. But like, ugh, I wish there was a better and more safe way to get clicks on things. <laughs> like, Me too. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. And 
you know, I've I've listened to lots of other former child actors talk about this too and how dehumanizing it is. And how like like I think I I think it was uh I don't remember who was talking about it. it might have been Mara Wilson was talking about it. there was some article I don't remember who the actor was but it was an article like making fun of an actor who now worked at a supermarket like there were pictures of this actor and it was just like oh look how sad this is and that's just horrifying because first of all it tells you that people don't clearly don't understand how much child actors are paid or what that money might go towards. Uh, especially if you go to a private college in the United States, like I did, which is where most of my money went. Where did you go? I went to the University of Redlands in California. It's a small liberal arts college, like 70 miles east of LA. And are you you're originally from LA? Yes. I originally from LA, uh, moved to New York City as a kid, fell in love with the city, and, and then just in time for falling in love with the city, had to move back to LA and then resented LA because it wasn't New York City. And now I have moved back to New York City <laughs> because I missed it. I love New York. I'm from Chicago, but worked in New York when I was a kid. And also my dad's like entire side of the family is from New York. And it, it's just like, I don't know. I feel like I'll always, I think I'm going to end up in New York eventually. But for now, I like LA because it's warm and none of my family is here. <laughs> it's a nice <laughs> break. It's a nice breather. But that and then you did um the Midwest Writers Workshop, which is iconic and absolutely just such a serve. Like that's <laughs> that's so cool. Like what was your experience like there? Midwest Writers, that was actually a really interesting way that I ended up going there because it was in Indiana where I'd never been. And I was going to college in California. This was when was this? This was 2013. So this was in my like first writer crisis era <laughs> where I was 19 and I, I had finally, after like five years of writing my own books, was like, I'm going to try to see how I can get published. And this was when I learned, hey, exclusively reading classics mean you have no idea what the market looks like right now or what a modern book sounds like. You also have no idea how to market your work or how the world of publishing works at all. And you're going to try to put your work out there. And then you're going to realize you have no idea what you're doing. And you're going to get super embarrassed and freak out while going to college. <laughs> so, you know, that that's what was happening. And then I, uh, I just met a writer over the internet who liked something I had submitted to a contest. And she encouraged me, she lived in Indiana, to go to this workshop. And I was like, why are you encouraging me to go to this workshop in Indiana when I'm in California? She's like, because I think you're a good writer. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll just go. And again, I'm very grateful for my acting money for a variety of opportunities it got me. And that was one of them. Like I would not have been able to afford that if it weren't for some of the acting savings I had. So I just kind of like, that was such a, a weird moment in my life too, because it was summer of 2013. I had been dumped by a long-term boyfriend like two weeks before I had my first ever panic attack in the hotel because I hadn't slept by myself before. And I was just like running on 20 minutes of sleep. But then I made like some great friends and I had a really good time. I, I had an agent request my work for the first time, a literary agent, and it was great. And, and unfortunately, the Midwest Writers Workshop has kind of turned into a hot mess. It's like there was this whole drama a few years ago where they kind of fat shamed absolutely fat shamed one of my friends when they were oh, trying no. to consider her for a position. And, and then it came out and it ended up in all of these big names like pulling out of it. And then it got canceled that year. And so, 
yeah, it's it's kind of like a okay, well, that's a thing of the past. <laughs> but it gave me some opportunities. It was also the the first place because me being the overachieving Capricorn that I am was like, I'm not just going to be an author. I'm going to work in publishing also. So my last Midwest Writers Workshop was in 2016, and that is where I met a literary agent who I happened to say to her, I'm moving to New York City in a month, and I have no job lined up, and I want to work in publishing. And she was like, here's my email. Please email me the second you get to New York. I love that. And she saved my ass and gave me an internship. Yeah, I think it's really empowering to see multiple sides of any industry, any creative industry like that, especially. Like, I remember there's so much skill and talent in on any film set. I remember even when I was a kid, like it bothered me so much when they called the actors the talent because I was like, okay, but like, do you see this set? Do you see these props? Do you see this this wardrobe? Like, and how much ability went into this? Like, there's so much talent to go around, like throughout the crew. And I feel that way, of course, also about the team behind a book. With a book, especially like there's one big name that goes on the book, but that's never, you know, the only person who contributes. There's a whole team behind it that people mm-hmm. don't see. Muggles don't get that too. They the and by <laughs> muggles I mean like the people who aren't artists or the people who aren't in the industry, like they don't understand that it's not just like all on the writer or all on the actor or all on the director. There's there's hundreds of people that go into every single production. And I hate that about the talent, the, the, like the talent, like, you know, the talent is coming to set. Like, no, like the talent is the PAs who yeah. are waking up at four in the morning to get to Burbank to, you know, like from, you know, wherever Culver city, like to, you know, and it's just like Culver city. That was my first, my first movie was filmed at that, at that uh, studio at Sony. At Culver City Studios. Oh, cool. Yeah. My first LA apartment was in Culver City. I haven't I haven't been there since I lived over there. But yeah, like there's and then that that whole thing where people the my biggest pet peeve is when people say like actors are expendable and like it's like, well, yeah, sure, but like humans aren't replaceable like and and it's such a dehumanizing career that I still love and still do and I still have a fun fucking time doing it but I think that being behind the scenes at Steppenwolf and being on crew for some film projects and and commercials and stuff like really helped me remember that I am not expendable as an actor I'm not just this like disposable like you know body but I love seeing the content of like fellow folks who, you know, came to fame at an early age and like didn't like stay like super in the public eye, like, you know, because it may, not only does it make me feel seen, but it also gives me new perspectives on the same experience. It's the same experience that I had. And I love what you said about like, it's these sacrifices just aren't worth it sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I was really getting hardcore into my writing identity as a teenager. I actually left Hannah before they wanted me to. They had more episodes with my character written in it. And then to to be fair, part of this was also I was extremely depressed during this period. This was the same brand new eyes Paramore era period. So I, I, I was also going through some pretty challenging mental health stuff at the time. But like before I got called back for my last few Hannah episodes, I'd stopped auditioning. I'd asked my agents to stop sending me on auditions. And then like my last Hannah episode, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I tell them I don't want to come back. By then I was like, you know, I've, I've realized that I came to acting because I loved characters and 
I find that more fulfilling to explore from a novelist's perspective. And that's what I want to do with my life now. And I'm done with this. Like I always thought I want to do this until it's not fun anymore. And then it wasn't. And so I stopped. And I think I was, I think I underestimated how much pushback I was going to get for that decision mm-hmm. because I was really lucky in terms of my parents and especially like my mom and how I was prepared for a life like that. Like I originally wanted to get into acting when I was like four. I was like, I want to, you know, I want to be, I want to play characters, blah, blah, blah. And my mom kept trying to, kept saying no and kept trying to lead that in other directions, like acting classes and and everything like that. And then when I was nine, they were like, all right, let's let her try. To this day, I kind of wonder, it it was exactly around the time my parents got divorced. I wonder if they were like, sorry about the divorce. Oh, you can do this. (laughs) But it was a nice distraction. And also my mom said, I did not expect you to, my second audition for a film was cheaper by the dozen. And she was like, I did not expect that to happen, to be fair. But I was very lucky. I I remember very vividly having this conversation with my dad after I booked Cheaper when I was 10. And he was like, just so you know, this can change people a lot. This can change people and make them full of themselves and make them not grateful. And I remember feeling this visceral horror and being so scared I was going to change into a bad person. And it just like stuck with me. So I think those types of conversations are really important to have with kids getting into an industry like that. And so I was very dedicated to always saying please and thank you to the crew and always hanging up my wardrobe at the end of the day. And some of it was a little bit like, I'm so proud of how professional I am as a child, which Mm -hmm. has its own problems. But also some of it was just showing respect for people and not, you know, getting a big head and inflated ego and thinking, you know, I'm the best around because I happened to book this role and just always being grateful. I don't remember what started me on this tangent. No, I think that's so beautiful that your parents prepared you for that. I'm like, okay, go off mom and dad. Like (laughs) I did not, my experience was not the same at all. School of Rock was my first ever audition and I like never had acted before. And my parents were not prepared, but like none of us were prepared for how that turned out. But yeah, I, I guess I, w- I wasn't prepared. And I, I've been thinking about this a lot that like, I think that there should be like onset, like counselors for any production that involves kids in any way, like onset therapists or onset counselor, or the studio should like pay like an extra stipend for like therapy for the kids. Cause like, I, uh-huh. I don't know, I want to, I want to be involved in that. However I can, like if, you know, the actors fund or SAG is like listening right now, like I am, you know, I'd be <laughs> super down to help in any way I can. I I'm not a therapist nor am I licensed in anything at all. But I mean, I can read tarot. Like I, I, <laughs> I don't know if that helps. Um, Give firsthand experience and advice. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what I'm trying to do with this show is, is just like, you know, help other, not only like, you know, do I get to like hang out with people whose work I've loved and, and devoured and, and taken in. Cause like Hannah Montana, when it's on, you know, I, I hate watched it because I was, I was in consideration for Hannah. Like, and yeah, I went in for it like several times, like went through a couple callbacks and then like, you know, my mom still has like a huge resentment towards Miley Cyrus and Billy Ray Cyrus. Cause she would always, she'd always be like, yeah, that's because of nepotism. Like, and I was like, well, she also does a really good job on the show. Yeah. I was always very, but (laughs) 
I think when it first came out, I was really resentful because I was just like, damn, like that could have been me. I could have been, you know, and they went for the nepotism. You know, I, I took what my mom was saying and, and internalized it and, you know, made it about me, of course, as a Leo, that's kind of what I do. But, you know, it, 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 it yeah, but I love talking to fellow former child actors and just like current adults just doing their fucking thing. Did you read Mara Wilson's book? Yes, yes. <sighs> I went to her launch. It was actually, I had just moved to New York, like back to New York. I'd, I'd been back in the city for like two weeks and she put out this like little launch thing she was doing. I was like, oh, I'm going to go. And I went and I was so intimidated because not just, you know, I liked, I loved her and Matilda and all that, but she also had given voice to all of these things that I had been feeling. Yeah. The letter she wrote to Matilda just broke mm, my heart. Yeah. I was actually so scared when I went up to meet her that like, I didn't even talk at first. Like she was like, hi. And then I was like, I tried to say hi and I just like couldn't. And she just said hi again. And I was like, oh God, I got to say something. Uh, luckily she rescued me because she had actually read a few of my blog posts. And oh she's like, God. do I know you? And I was like, you might've read one of my things. My name's Morgan. And then she was like, oh yeah, yeah. I remember reading that. You're such a good writer. And I was like, <gasps> Mara Wilson said I was a good writer. And I like admire her so much. It was such a surreal time. I And the book was so good. Such a good book. And I think it's a good segue to lead into my favorite segment of the show, which is called Who Was Your Matilda? Who was your Matilda? For me, Matilda was iconic. She was who I saw on screen and was like, oh, I see myself in that character, not only because of the kind of dysfunctional family, but also, and also <laughs> because of the whole Miss Honey relationship. I had a very similar love for my second grade teacher, but it was also just the fact that she could move things with her mind and that she was a little witch that I was just like, yeah, I want to be her. Do you have a Matilda? I did. And and now we're going to get even more into the territory of things that are now problematic because my Matilda was Hermione, which, you know, I'm sure every non-bigoted Harry Potter fan now has so many complicated feelings about Harry Potter. I literally was talking to my therapist about J.K. Rowling yesterday. <laughs> but yeah, Hermione was the person I saw because I have always been very goody two-shoes, um, especially when I was younger. Very, I must follow all the rules. And if I don't follow the rules, I'm going to have a breakdown. I'm always going to be good in school and good in class. And I just have to be perfect all the time. And I'm afraid of failure. Like that was very much who I saw myself in. Emma Watson in the first movie, at least, also had very similar hair to me. <laughs> I had this, I have really thick hair, which I'm finally growing out my pixie cut after like five years, but I can't wait. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how it's going to look. I haven't had long hair since I was like 17. So when you quit acting, you, you also quit hair. I, yeah, <laughs> I I cut my hair to like here and then it just kept getting shorter until finally last May I shaved my head and then I was like, okay, now I want to grow it out again. For some reason, I decided after shaving my head, that was it. I was like, all right, we're going to go. We're going to go back to longer and see how it feels. Did you uh, shave your own head? No, my spouse did it for me. But I did, I did do the research and like chose like the the length because there's different like lengths for baldness that I learned. I was like, all right, I know exactly what little attachment to put on the top. But oh, that's um, so cool. It's one of my first TikToks actually. 
it was right after I got TikTok is and it's also too short because I didn't know I'm still learning how TikTok works. I didn't know you could like make it either 15 seconds or 60. So I accidentally filmed it in 15 second mode and like I couldn't go back and unshave my hair. So I'm right. like, oh whatever. <laughs> the end of this is just gonna be really fast. <laughs> oh my God. So Hermione, yeah. I mean, uh, uh I I feel like first of all, Harry Potter was so yeah, that was another thing for me that I was just like, wow. And I'm very into witchcraft and I've always been super into like spells and, and doing spells on people. And I live, do you watch pen 15? I don't. There's this whole story. There's this whole episode where the, the two girls who are, they're 30 something women playing 12 year olds. Like it, it, it's the whole, it's, it's super, it's fucking funny and perverted and great. And all the other cast is like, kids like and they're playing alongside these kids and there's this episode where the two main characters get really involved in witchcraft and they're just like screaming spells at people and I was just like I relate to that like that was another Matilda moment where I was like wow I feel super seen right now yeah with everything coming out about JK Rowling it's so sad but I wish that I wish that watching those movies or reading those books like didn't have such a like fog of transphobia over it but it does just does. Yeah. And we gotta, I mean, I've always been like a big supporter of like critique the things you love. Cause you know, there's, there's more, there's issues in the text of Harry Potter. There's a lot of rampant fat phobia, especially with how the Dursleys are discussed. There's a lot of racist tropes that I think are partially just JK Rowling, not examining her own biases and also just borrowed from past fantasy, which, you know, like, fantasy is what I write and and fantasy just is it's such a culture of just like borrowing from previous works that the original manifestations of things aren't clear like like it's not you know people will be like oh like no that's you know her goblins aren't aren't Jewish caricatures you know lots of goblins are like this I'm like yeah what do you think a goblin is like originally but whatever like there are lots of and the worst one I think the worst one is the treatment of the um the house elves like, why do they like being enslaved? Hello? Well, like, why would you make that choice as an author? But yeah, so there's 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 a lot of issues in the books themselves, too. And I was content to be like, I can still love this series and talk as long as, you know, I'm forthright about, like, I see these issues because it was really important to me growing up. Like, again, it coincided with my parents' divorce. It was a nice thing to just kind of disappear into it. It inf- as a young writer, it informed a lot of my early writing. I wrote a ton of Harry Potter fan fiction that is still on the internet. <laughs> Did you ever read fan fiction about yourself, like about characters <gasps> that you played? Yes, I did. There wasn't very much, but I remember getting sucked into this cheaper by the dozen fanfic. What? <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say, I was like, oh, from Hannah Montana, but what? No, it was cheaper by the dozen. No one writes about Kim. Kim is my character. No one writes about Kim except this one fic, which was like, like the summary was like, all the bakers think that they're biologically related but one's adopted who is it and it was kim and it was like this angst fic about her realizing she was the only adopted child how would that work she's a twin i don't know i mean (laughs) we didn't look anything alike so i actually thought that was kind of hilarious oh shit that's right so because we you know we're we're not related in real life we looked when we got cast i was like what the hell (laughs) 
Yeah. But they made it very clear that you were fraternal twins, even though you were a foot taller than her. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which was Im- impressive. I was only like four feet tall. So, you know, Liliana was tiny. <laughs> we used to fight over who got to be the older twin. And I was like, I am literally older than you. Like, I want to be the older twin. And I remember, <laughs> I remember not to call her out, but we were like 12 and 11. It's fine. I was like writing in this little journal. Like, this is my journal that I'm writing as Kim. And I'm saying that I was born four minutes before Jessica. She's like, can I see your journal? I was like, why? And she's like, can I just see it? I was like, what are you going to do? She's like, I'm not going to do anything. Of course, she scratched out. <laughs> I love, I love right. that so much. I love that you had a character journal at 11. Like, that's something that I do now when I'm like, you know, working on a play. And and yeah, that's like a classic like Meisner technique or not Meisner, but yeah, it's like a text analysis thing. But like, I love that you had a character journal. Yeah, I, I think it's so funny that the the onset stories, especially in projects that have a large cast of other kids, like they make me so happy. Do you have any like what's your fondest memory on set? Oh my god. There are so many good memories, like kind of just snatches of things like Steve Martin would like play banjo for us sometimes or do like magic tricks. Bonnie Hunt, who played our mom, was literally just everybody's mom. Like, she's still to this day one of the kindest people I've ever met. I told her she'd be my second mom and she like cried. <laughs> she was a huge sweetheart. And then also, we all just like, you know, we were kids. We, we hung out and we, we played games, but also there was drama. Like, people would fight, especially on the second movie, because there were way too many kids in that movie. Like, it was the 12 kids, and then we had the other family who we were like competing against and they had a bunch of kids and it was also it was filmed in Canada it was the hottest summer in Canada on record like so far I mean it's been beaten by now I'm sure because it was 2005 but everybody was just like angry all the time and I remember people would fight I, I have this really embarrassing memory of like there was you know we all have like video games that we'd pass around the the most popular one was Donkey Konga 2 with the bongos. Oh my god. Jonathan Bennett who played the oldest daughter's husband, like she was pregnant and he was he was the husband, he made the mistake of telling everyone that he had bongos. It became like his trailer was the hot spot for everyone. Like we would line up, take turns playing the bongos. By the end of the film said he was like somebody take these fucking bongos away from me. Like no one will leave my trailer alone. <laughs> We had the same kind of experience with Dance Dance Revolution where it was like between takes and whatever, we would like run back up to the like office area to like play DDR and Jack Black would sometimes join us and and play DDR. It was really, (laughs) but then we also got really into Ouija boards. I am aware, like this is, I am remembering this now that I... I was like, let's play Ouija board to my cast. And we would like go into like a dark room. It would be like six of us like sitting around a Ouija board. And we would like, they, the girls would always be like, okay, so who does Caitlin like? <laughs> and then like they would move it around. But I would be asking questions like, how am I going to die? And like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> they like, Rivka, no. That is such a film set thing. Like that you have, especially if it's something, I don't know if, it, that was filmed during summer, but cheaper too was. So we had like nothing to do because we weren't in school. So I remember another game we played all the time was this card game Signal, where you have to like, you're on a team and your teammate sits across from you and it's four people and you have to come up with like a signal 
to like signal to your teammate that you have gotten the four cards that you need. It became like this science because we played it so much because we were so bored all the time where like someone, if they saw you, if the other team thought they saw you doing a signal, they could like call out cut or something like that. But then if they were wrong and it was a fake signal, like they would lose. So we came up with all these elaborate ways of like, like I remember one really common thing that people would do is they would do make like an obvious over the top signal. And then you'd think that's fucking fake. I'm not saying anything, but it would be the real signal and then they'd win. (laughs) Damn. Yeah. Bold. I love that. I see this, this just brings me so much joy. Cause like when I was watching cheaper by the dozen, which like half of the cast of school of rock also like got called in for while we were filming school of rock. And there were like, mm-hmm. there was definitely like rivalry because like some people oh, had no. gotten called back and like other people had it. And <laughs> yeah, um, it does create such a weird feeling when you're in competition with a lot of the times the same people, like, I remember, like, I feel like half of my roles that I auditioned for went to either Dakota Fanning or Anna Sophia Robb. I don't know if you had the same experience. Yes, mine were Alexa Vega and Taylor Momsen. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And I I'd actually, like, most of the time I wasn't competitive about it. Most of the time, Dakota Fanning existed on this other plane to me because she was so famous. But Anna Sophia Robb, I had met at a few auditions. And so we'd, like, talked before and stuff. And I don't think there was any jealousy towards her. I remember just kind of being happy for her. I was like, oh, she got that movie. Like, yay. I'm hoping that what we can do, I feel like like people that are like around our age are kind of like, we've taken on this like advocate archetype in like a really beautiful way that, that is, I hope helpful to like other future child actors and their parents. Like I really want, the parents to like just get their shit together like before they make yes. a decision to put their kids out there like that and i think that leads us to a great place to ask so that's such an emotional like i i talk to my 16 year old self specifically so much so there, there's a lot there, but um, I think I would say, uh, there's a lot I would say. I mean, I, I would explain to her that she is depressed and has an anxiety disorder and that, she, I don't know, she thinks she's old enough to be dealing with the things she is and she's not. Like, to bring them back around to Paramore... One song that I used to find, I was going through a really hard time when I was 16, related to things that weren't acting related that I won't go into, but they were very traumatic. And one song I was listening to on repeat was Ignorance by Paramore. And like, I remember I used to feel so empowered by the line, I'm not the same kid from your memory. Now I can fend for myself. And now I listened to that and I was like, I was a kid and it makes me so sad. Mm. So I think I would, yeah, I would say to her, like, you are a kid and the things that are happening to you, this isn't just growing up. This is like you are dealing with stuff that you shouldn't have to. Mm. That's so beautiful. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you for saying that. Of course. And that I needed to hear that today. Oh, I'm glad. Okay. 
This has been so incredible catching up with you. I have to watch Two Brother Dozen too. I don't think I've seen it since it came out, but I know Eugene Levy's in it, and I it's, love him. It's wild. That one was so weird. I actually, if you wouldn't mind me sharing one more story, my no, I think my it. favorite acting story or set story is from there. Although it doesn't really involve other actors, it was that the Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince book came out while we were filming. And we were filming on location on a Friday night. And like, it was like two hours away from where my hotel was. And that my, the bookstore was also near the hotel. And I was like, we were doing a night shoot. And I kept looking at the clock and kept looking at the clock and being like, obviously, I'm a child. So I have to leave by 10. But I want to leave before that so that I can get there to the bookstore in time for like, you know, all the shenanigans or whatever. And we just kept going later and kept going later to the point where like the director knew that I was obsessed with Harry Potter. And every time he was like, let's go again. And I gave him this dirty look and he was like, I know Morgan, I know, I know it's Harry Potter, but we have to do one more take. (laughs) And so I just remember like the second we wrapped just running to the car and like to going to my dad, like, go, go, go. We got to get there for half blood Prince. And just like driving through the Canadian roads at like 11 PM midnight and finally arriving at the bookstore grabbing my half-blood prince because it was past midnight by then we just were able to grab it and leave and then coming back to set on monday with like this much of the book left and steve martin like walked up to me because i was just like sitting on a random little tree stump or something like reading the book and steve martin came up to me he's like did you eat or sleep this weekend (laughs) and i remember reading just so like my only emotion was just an annoyance that he had interrupted me because I was, you know, reading about a very important funeral in the book. And I'm just like, yes, I did. And just <laughs> kept reading. I love that little Steve Martin moment that you just shared. I did, I'm sure you have a thousand more. I want to hear every single one of them. I'll have to have you on another episode or maybe do like a mini episode for the Patreon. <laughs> I don't know. Morgan, where can people find you? And then maybe like, is there anything that you want to plug that you're super jazzed about right now? You can find me on Instagram, Morgan York writes. You can find me on TikTok at Morgan.York. And also I stream video games on Twitch. If you want to watch me like play a Kingdom Hearts game and yell when I die, you can watch me on there at twitch.tv slash Tolstoys, which as Rivka said earlier, is a combination of the authors Tolstoy and Joyce. So yeah, there's, there's nothing like that I'm doing really that's coming up that I'm super like that's that's visible like right now I'm just personally trying to reconnect with writing in a way that is basically trying to mend my relationship with writing that involves like not being quite as like loud about it Mm. on the internet because I noticed I was trying to prove something like hey look see I'm still a writer even though I haven't published any work yet still a writer look at my writing content as well I do the same thing and I'm working so hard on that have you done the artist way no the artist way, I'm not I'm not giving you unsolicited advice here, but in my experience, the artist way really helped me unlock some things as a writer that just, yeah, it was super powerful. I, I honestly do recommend every artist or everyone who thinks they have an artistic side but are too afraid to like explore that, like to check that out, The Artist Way by Julia Cameron. It's a workbook with exercises and You know, I I can't honestly say that I did the whole thing ever in one go, but I do still take a lot of the exercises out of it and just like apply them to my own work ever since I, that book came into my life like four years ago. But yeah, 
Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. Yeah, it's it's been a whole thing because, you know, I work in publishing now, too. And I, I was getting way too focused on the whole publishing will validate me and the traumas I write about side of me. And it's just like, OK, you know, we got to we got to talk about this in therapy. We got to we got to reexamine this. You got to get back to writing for me and remembering what made it fun and what made it my favorite thing to do in the world. So, yeah. So right now, my writing projects are just very close to my chest. That's beautiful. You got to do some of those for you. I I saw you posted on IG. Somebody's dedication at the beginning of their book was this one's for me. And I just, mm-hmm. I cried. I literally cried. Oh my God. Yeah. Courtney Summers. She is such a good author. I love her so much. She's also really, really sweet. And we talk a little bit on Instagram and she's just so awesome. And every book of hers I've read, I've only read three so far, but I need to read her entire backlist. She just writes really good female characters, female protagonists, and they're usually like thrillers and they're, they're very much page turners. It's always when I read one of her books, I read it in like three days. I love that so much. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me today, Morgan. I appreciate you so much. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Where Are We Now with Rivka Reyes. Please check us out on Instagram at Where Are We Now Pod. And if you like our show, please leave us a review. If you leave a review and DM a screenshot on Instagram at Where Are We Now Pod, I will pull a tarot card for you. That's right. I might also give you some tough love. You might need it. Join our community on Patreon for BTS, spicy content, spicy pictures. Yeah, you know you want to get a picture of my sweet, sweet ass in your email, personalized shoutouts, and more. Patreon.com slash Rivka Reyes. You can follow me at Rivka Reyes on Twitter and at Rivka.Reyes on Instagram and TikTok. Last but not least, I must give credit to our wonderful team of women. The music is produced by Elise Watman, the graphics are designed by Marina Heinze, and the editing is done by our friends at WeEditPodcast.com, which is a women-owned business. So cool. We love to see it. Finally, just know wherever you are in your life, physically, mentally, spiritually, you are loved. Get used to it, babe. See you next week. <laughs>